welcome to the IOG podcast. Today we're going to be discussing annual leave. My name's David Ashley and I work for Marface Limited Insurance. I've worked in and around direct payments for many years in various roles. I've also been an active member of the London Self-Directed Support Forum organising committee for over 15 years. Hi there, my name is Rachel Harkin. I'm the Head of Employment Advice Services at Independent Living Group, trading as ILG Support. I'm passionate about providing individual employers with the support they need by any means. But for the purposes of these podcast conversations, I'm going to come at it from the legal perspective with a focus on employment law specifically. The content of this podcast is for general advice only. For specific cases, always seek legal advice. Great, thanks Rachel. Um, Just to clarify from the outset then, uh, annual leave, we're talking about specifically individual employers who we know operate on the statutory minimum on the whole. They're not going to be applying a contractual allowance above and beyond the statutory. So for the purposes of our podcast today, that's our focus and we won't be touching contractual leave allowances beyond the statutory minimum. Rachel? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Individual employers and and the budgets that, that go along with that do tend to keep to statutory minimum provisions. So it is important that people recognise the advice and the comments that we're going to make in this podcast today really are about those base minimum 5.6 weeks. Of course, different rules would apply if an employer does have a larger contractual arrangement over and above those statutory minimums. Brilliant. Thanks, Rachel. So as you mentioned there, the standard um, standard rules around annual leave then. So it, we know it comes to the working time regulations which I like to remind people of when I am talking about annual leave because quite often it gets mixed up in conversations about holiday pay. Um, But I I think it's useful to just, as a starting point, is, you know, it's a provision of the working time regs, isn't it, which tells us it's about health and safety, if you like. It's about making sure people have adequate breaks away from work, not necessarily 5.6 weeks extra pay at the end of each year. Um, And that comes into play in direct payments for, for lots of reasons because, as we know, the, the unique setup of an individual employer on the whole is they're funded. The funding comes from the external source. The liability sits with the employer. So it does create some interesting anomalies and questions we have to look at in this arena in direct payments or supporting individual employers that perhaps wouldn't ordinarily come up if you're advising organisations or companies uh, outside of direct payments. So we know that the rules were changed, Rachel, as a result of the pandemic. Um, specifically around carryover so generally the 5.6 weeks is something we are allocated for a leave year which might be which can be operated differently generally it's january to december or march uh, april to march um as a starting point what could you summarize the covid amendments to the standard rules around uh, annual leave yeah so the working time directive which is the the european directive the european rule that we then had to implement here domestically required us to give four weeks annual leave now what we have actually done domestically is include the additional 1.6 so on a typical basis it is quite possible for an employer to agree with their worker to carry over 
the additional 1.6 because we can choose whatever rules we like. That's always been the position. Sorry, Rachel, can I just, this is really easy for me. Can you explain why? Why are local national regs for the 1.6 weeks different to the four weeks? Is it just the way that is structured, written? Why is that, that we have more freedom? Because of the directive. So the European directive required that all member states implemented a base minimum of four weeks leave for all employees, for all workers. So that being the case, we have to then follow the case law, really. The case law that's coming through from those member states dictates the way in which we implement that. And essentially, it's made clear that a carryover isn't actually possible through choice. It is something that's very important that the workers have got to take it. So we have to follow the European precedent when it comes to those four weeks. However, the 1.6 weeks, we can essentially create our own precedent because that's our domestically implemented part of those regulations. We've implemented it, as you said, working time regulations here. We can do what we want with the 1.6. So it has developed to become a point where actually employer and employee subject to agreement can carry over that part. So the 1.6 weeks, um, if you like, is the Brexiteer element of of uh, annual leave entitlement it's the bit that wants to leave europe it doesn't want to be in europe it wants to do its own thing that's how to remember it perhaps. yeah but i would say that it isn't linked to brexit in any way no no this no is just uh, the I'm, way the law sorry developed. i'm being facetious yes <laughs> so okay so we have more freedom about the 1.6 weeks um it's domestic and we we're, we're kind of following europe on the four weeks which is very much kind of for the year in which it's intended it's leave within that in that year um so what what were the covid amendments then in relation to that okay so the government recognizing the challenges that covid would bring that we were going to have a number of frontline workers perhaps not being able to work for various reasons whether it because they became poorly they were shielding they were protecting somebody else they were self-isolating that workers on the front line would be scarce. And so there was a recognition that there was going to be an increase in um, people not being able to work, frontline workers having to work through. So the working time coronavirus amendment regulations came in in 2020, which allowed that four-week element that we said, otherwise we can't carry over, it actually is now allowing that carryover. However, it is important to note that that is only applicable where it was not reasonably practicable as a result of the effects of coronavirus, not any other reason, but because of coronavirus, it wasn't reasonably practicable to give the worker all of their annual leave. And I would also highlight that in Regulation 15 of that amendment, it should only really be employed only where an employer has a good reason to do so. So it shouldn't just be accepted that this is it because times of COVID, we can just do this willy-nilly. There should be a very good reason. Carryover actually takes it into the following two annual leave years. So the the leave should be used within that two-year period following. Right. Okay. So agreement um, is important uh, and and actually a, a firm basis for needing to carry over, not just because you can, but because you need to, because there was a reason you couldn't take your leave that's linked to the pandemic. Yes. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So that's a lot of annual leave being carried over in cases where it's been agreed and the PA has been unable to take annual leave because of the pandemic. Going to have quite an impact, isn't it? 
we know because we get lots of questions on it um, that there is always a question mark about can I pay in lieu of leave? And we know that it's discouraged to roll up holiday. To, to, it's not about pay. Um, what do you say to someone, Rachel, if a call comes into IFG support um, and somebody requests and says, look, my PA has been unable to take leave. They're quite happy to have their normal leave entitlement next year, but I'm conscious that they are entitled to this leave they're unable to take this year. Surely I, I can pay in lieu. What do the, do the COVID amendments say about that, if anything? Um, and what would the advice be? The COVID amendments make no reference to a payment in lieu at all because the working time regulations, as you rightly said at the beginning, David, are about making sure that workers are getting their rest breaks, that they're getting the downtime that they need. So what effectively a payment in lieu of annual leave operates to detract or, or operates to prevent a worker from taking it, or at least is an incentive for them not to take the rest that they should have, because, you know, some, in some cases they'd rather have the payment in the pocket. We've heard that many, many times from PAs over the years. They'd rather have the additional pay, but then they're not getting the rest they need. So payments in lieu of annual leave are strictly prohibited unless the contract has actually been terminated the contract has come to an end right okay thanks rachel so what are the risks then of an individual employer who decides do you know what i'm going to do this anyway i don't want my pa to carry over the leave my pa doesn't want to carry over the leave i have it in my budget um what's the risk what's the risk of just paying that annual leave they've accrued what might happen Okay, so uh, an employee has got the right to go to an employment tribunal to make a complaint that they haven't been given the leave that they were entitled to during the annual leave year that it accrued. And a judge has got the opportunity to award damages to the extent that they consider to be just and equitable uh, in accordance with the circumstances of the time. So it could well be that the employer would find themselves actually facing a repayment of that leave as if it hadn't been taken in the first place. Um, I would also add, of course, that there are health and safety risks and implications, particularly for PAs who are doing huge amounts of hours, and that can be the case. We've got some PAs who are operating through uh, with individual employers who receive a direct payment or perhaps on a personal health budget, and they've got around-the-clock care needs. They're doing a huge number of hours. It is extremely important that they've had their break because if we fail to recognise uh, the health and safety risks of a worker doing so many hours, there is potential that the employer could be found negligent. So there's a couple of issues that give me concern if we're not giving leave. So significant risk then, to be, to be fair. And I think really highlighting the fact that, again, leave is, it's not a right to pay, is it? It's a right to leave. And also that I guess what's implicit in everything you've said is that employers have to give PAs the opportunity to take leave, that there has to be built into their kind of, policies if you like maybe that's the wrong word but they should be aware conscious of the leave that their PA is entitled to structure the work patterns to facilitate and allow leave to be taken to be requested I guess that's important is it not if we're talking about having to take it within the leave year then there, there is a naturally a an obligation on the employer to do something about that and is that something you 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 talk to employers about that comes up in in your kind of uh, when advisors are talking to employers or, or even direct payment workers? 
All the time, all the time. Um, there is very typically this this um, principle of use it or lose it that comes up a lot. So it can be very key and you know, funding bodies jump onto this principle. The employee has not used it. So we're going to whip away any further funding that was in place for that particular annual leave year because it's not been used. But as you rightly say, we've seen a development with Casel where it's saying actually there is a little bit more of a an onus on the employer to ensure that they have given a given reasonable opportunity for the employee to take that leave. And if they haven't done, if they're creating a barrier and the leave isn't taken, then you can't simply say, that's it, you've lost it when that annual leave year comes to an end. And there's a greater obligation on ensuring then that there is this carryover. Now, I would add to all of this, of course, we're talking carryover, carryover, like it's this huge burden of a thing. But it is also possible for individual employers to control the way in which that annual leave is taken. They can think about the resources they've got available, Maybe they've got family to support, they've got periods of time where they've got great backup PA cover, in which case it's possible for an employer to dictate when the leave is taken. The principle that's built into the regulations is the employer has got to give twice the period of notice as the time that they are asking the employee to take. So for example, if they're asking them to take one week's leave, they've got to give two weeks notice in advance of that. I would always advise employers to be mindful of anything that a PA has got coming up. You know, it's no good saying, I want you to take your holiday in a week's time. And actually, we know that this PA is also getting married in the summer. Let's be kind. Let's be considerate. But overall, this principle is written to the regulations, giving employers the opportunity to work those resources as they need to. So effectively, the needs of the business or the employer, I should say, trump PA's desire to take annual leave at a particular time if push comes to shove. But we should be reasonable. We should absolutely be reasonable. An employee can issue a counter notice. But yeah, so long as the employer is applying it in such a way where it's reasonable, then yeah, they can dictate when it happens and manage their resources. It's doable. Any any questions, any uncertainties as to whether or not the implication of that kind of rule is fair, give us a call at ILG Support. And that principle is essential, presumably. So if we think of other industries, just step out of individual employers and direct payments for a moment. Teachers, for example, can't just take leave when they want. They presumably have to take leave in their school holidays. That's dictated them by their employer. I presume that's this principle in action, is it? Yes, absolutely, because they've already been given that notice that we've referred to in their contracts of employment. There are seasonal businesses who perhaps have got maybe busier around the Christmas period, maybe busier around summertime, you know, hospitality, for example, much, much busier when the sun is shining. So they get prepared to ensure that their staff are available during those busier times and then dictate that they should take time off when it's a quieter period. Right. Okay. So that's good to know. So we know how much leave somebody's entitled to. We know where it's coming from. We know there have been some recent amendments due to COVID and we know how those may be applied. We also have caveated everything we've said with a warning to not kind of conflate holiday pay with leave. And the reason behind the leave is all important because it's something it's all to do with health and safety, not just an automatic right to additional pay 
and this idea that taking leave is a kind of choice and I think we've kind of clarified that which is which is good but so far so good I'm looking at my notes Rachel we talked about this um we need to do it calculating annual leave calculating annual leave for typical workers we know is relatively straightforward would you say yes I would say (laughs) (laughs) 28 days a year if you work five days a week is that, is that right? There is, yes, weeks? yeah, because that's the 5.6 weeks, uh, 5.6 weeks being our statutory minimum. So if we've got somebody working a set number of days per week or a set number of hours, even if those hours are spread around and we don't know what days they're actually doing, if we know that they have a pattern of work, we can times that by the 5.6 and we know then that the annual leave entitlement, uh, what the annual leave entitlement will be for that worker. And that holds, that's steady, that's, a, that's, that's not going to change. People have been looking over their shoulder about annual leave, and we'll talk about why, but just to be clear, if the hours are regular if, or if the days in the week are regular, we can do the sum. So if you work five days a week, five times 5.6 gives you 28 days. If you, week four, if you work four days a week and you times four by 5.6, just going to dust off my calculator brain, it's 22.4, that's your annual leave. We Which, were satisfied with that. Yeah, you round it up to the half day. Uh, right, yes. Okay, cool. And what we're talking about here, David, is the accrual of leave. How much is the entitlement to leave? What I would say is keep in mind, we've got two issues when we think of leave. We've got one, how much is the entitlement? How much time off do they get? And two, how much do we pay when they go on leave? Two very different right. questions. Okay. Okay, right. And this is getting into the nitty gritty. So my understanding is, and maybe if we start there and then you can embellish and explain or tell me where I've gone wrong. So 5.6 weeks that for annual leave, a week's leave is your normal remuneration for a week. And that is how we work out how much leave somebody's entitled to in terms of how much pay somebody needs to um, generate for a week's leave. Is that right? So we look at what is a normal standard week's pay for that employee? That's going to be how much they should be paid for the week they have off. Is that not correct? What am I missing? Exactly so. A week's pay for a week's leave, which you say it like it's a simple thing. <laughs> <laughs> I do. what is a week's pay for any individual now of course if we've got somebody who's on a fixed rate somebody who does the five days a week do the same hours nice and easy whatever they do we build that in however we've got PAs who are doing compulsory overtime we have PAs who are working variable hours they might do 10 hours one week 20 hours the next two the next How do we calculate what is a week's pay for a week's leave? Well, some people will be aware that the Good Work Plan brought in some changes in April 2020. And one of those key changes was how we calculate those um, a week's pay for a week's leave for irregular workers, for people working irregular hours. What we now have to do is we have to take an average of the hours that they had worked over 52 weeks of positive data, so any weeks where it was at zero, we don't count. Anything where they were more than zero, we take an average over 52 weeks worth of data. I've got to ask there, so when you mentioned 52 weeks in which they've actually worked, so if they've worked 
26 weeks in the last year, you're going back. You're going back the year before that. You're going back until you hit 20, 52 weeks. We're going to go back until we've hit 52 weeks, but there is a complete backstop of two years. We don't go further back than two years. Right. Okay. So the closest you get to, okay, okay. And that's your, how you work out your average. And that, this is us talking about pay here. What yes. amounts to four weeks pay in that period, right? Which is a different question to how much has been accrued, what the entitlement is. Okay, so, let's, so we know how we can calculate pay, even if you're working irregular hours. So how do we work out how much somebody's accrued then? So if my leave year starts from the 1st of April, and I work irregular hours. What, where do you start? If I say to you today, Rachel, I want to take some annual leave. The restrictions are being lifted and I fancy some time off, a week off. Where do we start? Oh, there's a challenging question. <laughs> because the fact is, for irregular workers, for our atypical workers, we actually don't have a particular set of rules. And we found that uh, actually what, what tends to happen to be honest, what's been the norm is this 12.07% rule has always been applied. The idea being, I'm not going to tax everybody's maths brains right now, but if we think about a full 52-week year and we take away the 5.6 weeks entitlement, we're assuming that somebody is there for work 46 point... Oh, I can't remember. 46.6. I'm there somewhere. I can't remember. So... Yeah, we're going into the maths on this, but the 12.07% effectively is the equivalent of the, the 5.6 weeks that have been accrued if you assume somebody's worked the rest of the full year. Now, that's not going to work for people who are working irregular working patterns. And we found this very clearly in the case of Brazil and Harper Trust. In that particular case, this was somebody who only worked term time. So the downtime that they had was, was way in excess of the 5.6. And that particular teacher was paid on the basis of 12.07. But of course, if you're only going to do that, pay them at 12.07%. In reality, when they were paying the leave, it wasn't reflective of what that teacher was used to earning when they were actively engaged on work. It effectively had... Um, the effect of spreading out their pay across the year. And that wasn't right. The, the, they're saying, no, no, we get paid a higher proportion during that working week. So when I go on leave, I expect the amount I get paid when I work to be what I get paid on leave. I find this astonishing. And I have to say, I did read Brazil Harbour Trust last year more than once um and it was a bit of a brain melt um but a fascinating and i'm sure to to many anyone who's read it or read summaries of it it is fascinating it, what i what i was really staggered by was that the 12.07 percent was like a shorthand that had almost become that i i now understood as something that had you know been taken um on on board and used you know industry uk-wide um but actually had no basis in any legislation and that's i think was one of the points made by the judge am i right that there was no legislative uh, i don't know genesis to the 12.07 percent it worked in certain circumstances certainly in this case what again what i was fascinated by and again you'll probably be able to explain it better 
is that the 12.07% um, figure, what that, the leave or pay that uh, generated for this particular employee um, was much lower than if you actually looked at this actual amounts earned over time for weeks when work had been undertaken according to the regs. And that the judge, what astounded me was that the judge seemed to be saying, that's fine. Then the employee should be paid more. There's no, there's no reason why that shouldn't happen. Um, there's no legislative reason why that shouldn't happen. So I'm certainly not going to refuse them any additional pay. And the, and the upshot being whichever is higher. So if you work irregular hours, you get, you get, reflect, you, you get remunerated for weeks off according to the weeks you work, even if. Because we, because we are saying in the regulations a week's pay for a week's leave, somebody's normal remuneration. So what they are used to coming out with when they're working is what they should come out with when they are on holiday. And I think they use the example in the case, if I remember rightly, of a, you know, odd examples where you might have someone who's, I think they use the example of a cricket coach who literally only were, is contracted on a, on, a, on a kind of permanent contract, but only works seasonally on in a very short term uh, week or two, could potentially be kind of on a windfall that they could, in theory, be entitled to massive amounts of holiday pay. Potentially. And what we've got to keep in mind here is this is because when they're on those downtimes, they are still engaged in a permanent contract. That contract hasn't terminated. The contract continues through the periods where they're not expected to be actively engaged on work. We've right, got okay, to so remember. Brazil was a, yeah, sorry to interrupt. So Brazil was a music teacher, wasn't she? So there was potential that she was called into work. There was potential for more work. She's contracted. She could work. She doesn't have, are we saying she doesn't have the freedom necessarily to take work elsewhere? because she's contracted to do this job. Absolutely. The contract never terminates. Now, of course, we feel very differently with a casual worker, where we sort of say your contract is in existence while you're engaged on a period of work, an assignment, maybe on a day-to-day basis, depending how you, you actually construct that contractual arrangement. But in between those active days and periods of assignment, the contract is said to have severed altogether. Now, that's when it's easier to apply the 12.07% because it's a way. It's not necessarily perfect. But if we're having short bursts of work and then the contract ends, that's when we can make a payment in lieu of notice. And that's when the 12.07% wouldn't be completely unreliable. Where it is more challenging, like in Brazil's case, um, the contract was continuous throughout the whole year, even though there were significant weeks in the year where they weren't actively engaged. And of course, we have um, a lot of PAs, David, as we discussed in one of our previous sessions where we looked at living care, where they're doing two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off. So you're looking actually at half of the year, they're not working. But when they take the annual leave, they should be paid at the rate that they would be paid had they been working it's, it's an additional cost almost on top of, a, of an employer wanting somebody to be a permanent needing somebody to be permanently contracted to them there is an additional cost in, in terms of their holiday the, the, this entitlement because if you did have someone who's casual to go back to the Brazil Harper Trust case 
on a casual contract, there'd be no guarantee they'd be available for work when you needed them, Absolutely. when the need was there. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. This is making sense. But going back to our living PA, one, two week on, two week off, uh, whatever their kind of long stay shift arrangement is. Yeah, that's problematic, isn't it? That, that, that does put an additional burden on how much, how we would calculate their remuneration when they want to take leave. And then, I mean, at least with that, what we've got is a pattern of work. So at least we're in a position where we can better judge what the entitlement's going to be across the year. Where it's particularly challenging is when we have these workers on very irregular working patterns, which might absolutely suit some individual employers. You know, that's the whole benefit to direct payments is that they have the flexibility to get the support as and when they need it. It's one of the major benefits and we can construct contracts to help them to do that. Maybe we'll provide a a base minimum amount of hours per week, but otherwise they'll use their budget as they want. They may have more or less hours being done by any individual PA week by week. It is so much harder to judge in advance because we don't have a rule in the regulations that tells us how to calculate it. And actually, David, I don't know if you want to have a go at this, but have a look at the government website. So the government provide a statutory minimum annual leave calculator. Let's have a go and plug in some details to see if it'll give us a steer then on what the entitlement is. I've got it here. And, and uh, people may remember that this, this, this actually, the calculator did go down last year. For those of you used, who, are, who are familiar with it, it, it was taken down. And the reason it was taken down is because it did use, as I understand it, 12.07% as its kind of um, algorithm in the background. And that was removed. But let's have a look how it works now. So col- calculate holiday entitlement, gov.uk. We'll put this link, I should say, and uh, a link to the Brazil Harper Trust case uh for you under the podcast on i when it's published on ilg uh but let's have a look at the calculate holiday entitlement so start now is holiday entitlement based on days work per week hours work per week casual or irregular hours are we going there casual or irregular hours go on irregular hours let's do it do you want to work out holiday for a full leave year yes that's not particularly helpful, Rachel. It says the statutory <laughs> holiday entitlement is 5.6 weeks holiday. Yay! So we've gone round. <laughs> we knew <laughs> this. Around. We've gone round in a circle. Um, there is a link to some guidance. Let's have a quick look at what that says. Um, workers who are in employment for a full leave year are entitled to 5.6 weeks annual leave. This much we know. The working time regs do not set out how to convert this into entitlement in days or hours for workers with irregular hours. Now, of course, the key, the problem with this is for our individual employers, in many cases, businesses, you know, have workers who do Monday to Friday, nine to five, nice and easy. It's not a great challenge for so many areas of commerce, but for individual employers where the whole idea is having the freedom to get the care and the supporting when they need, use the hours that have been budgeted according to their own needs and demands, this is going to be much, much more challenging. You're going to have some weeks where you want to go on a number of hospital appointments or the weeks where you've got your family around and you don't need quite so much support with socialising or getting into the community. Flexibility is key for individual employers in many, many cases. 
This now is a problem for this employer group. This, for me, is something where I would like to see, now we're out of Europe, let's see our government make some changes, give us some guidelines, give us a steer as to how we can address this problem for atypical workers. Yeah, here, here, absolutely. I mean, just to follow on, it, what, it, what it says here is exactly, it really echoes what you've been saying. In practice, if needed, employers may wish to calculate average days or hours worked each week based on a representative reference period, although the regulations do not expressly provide for this. So, I mean, that's, that's incredible. That's on the Gov UK guidance on casual, irregular or annualised hours. That's what it says. So I guess echoing what we've kind of suggested throughout this episode is make contact, speak to us, make contact with IOG support if, if you are concerned about how to quantify annual leave for your PA or for a, a direct payment or individual employer you're supporting, get in touch and we'll, we'll support you to uh, navigate this kind of open-ended, uncertain calculation. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's, these atypical work patterns are not just, as you say, not accounted for um, and we need more guidance. Okay, so we need something positive to uh, end this episode with, Rachel, because it's quite open-ended, isn't it, this um, calculation for irregular hours. So what does the future hold? Is there anything to um, hold on to here? Well, you know, the coronavirus has caused a delay in, in certain things across the UK, but I would say that employment rights is something that is, is never off the table. It's so important to commerce and society the government are always working away at it. The Taylor review did um, make these recommendations to increase the period of time over which we calculate a worker's average weekly pay so they get paid fairly when annual leave comes. And there were further recommendations made that haven't as yet been implemented. So it may well be that with further attention as and when they're capable of doing so, you know, I would like to see positive changes. We're out of Brexit now. We can do what we want with annual leave. So I'm really expecting, or at least hoping, for positive changes as quickly as possible. Brilliant. Thanks, Rachel. And we'll, of course, keep our eye on that. A bit like employment status and some of the other issues we've talked about, we just need the regs to catch up with what's happening out there, the gig economy and the fact that people don't work Monday to Friday um, like they used to and things are opening up. Uh, as society changes so that's the end of this episode thank you all very much for listening and um, please do join us next time when we will be talking about tube hooray that'll be fun <laughs> <laughs> i'm off to book some annual leave so um i'll say goodbye goodbye